this is Mackenzie from a local branch. Um, I am talking to you on the 27th of April. This is our sixth week in quarantine and I am recording this in our shop in Skinny Atlas, New York called the local branch. Um, so I've just had a lot of ideas sort of floating around and popping into my mind lately and a podcast was one of them. Um, we've actually been kind of stewing on this idea for a long time and, um, you know, I read something the other day that said, be who you needed when you were younger. And I thought, you know, this is the perfect time to kind of be that person and, um, I don't know when when things are weird and scary and up in the air like I guess things are always sort of certainly uncertain but you know now is particularly um you know more challenging and so I just wanted to use this um podcast as a place for um you know Blaine and I to share our story about um growing our businesses, both the local branch and the Kester Homestead, um, to hopefully, you know, just help other people that might be going through this process. Um, and maybe eventually we'll, um, bring in other small makers like ourselves, um, because in the 10 plus years of us starting and, and growing this brand, we've learned so much, um, you know, in 2009, we moved out to California right after college and, um, you know, we were just two young kids in our very early 20s um, with, I think we had $3,000 combined in our bank accounts that we had worked all summer saving and, um, you know, in right after the holidays, we moved out to California with a suitcase each and no place to stay and no jobs. Blaine was um, going to be starting AmeriCorps and um, that's kind of what brought us to San Francisco. I just said, I'm moving to California. You can come with me. And he said, okay. And um, so I was hunting and just submitting resumes into a black hole because it was the recession and I didn't really know what that meant and I didn't have any experience of what, um, you know, hunting for a job in the real world felt like or looked like. Um, so I didn't really have anything to compare, which was kind of a blessing in disguise because um, we just started hustling and... Um, a friend of ours came out and was visiting us while we were living in this little town, Fairfax, California, in Marin. And, you know, I was working at a coffee shop, a really cute coffee shop there, and just sort of trying to figure out my way, sort of through a process of elimination. Um, you know, when you're sort of an artist or creative, I think it can be challenging to narrow down exactly what medium you like to work in what clients you want to work for and you're especially I think in the beginning at least for me I was just really trying to find my voice and you know understand what I wanted to to do and and how I wanted to make my livelihood so um actually 
um, this friend shared Etsy with us and it had only been around for a couple of years and I had never heard of it and everyone we told had never heard of it Um, and there weren't very many makers on there and we thought oh this is you know, our perfect opportunity to, you know, put some, put some things up there and try to make our skills as artists something that we could um, make a viable business. And we never really thought that it would turn into something that we would do full time, especially in the beginning. It was just more of like a side hustle in a way for us to fund a creative hobby. Um, And really my um, vision that started to develop um, when we were living out in California was to just get like a really beautiful old estate with a house and a barn and I really wanted to to host people. I think um, for me, as I was narrowing it down through a lot of really funny ways, um, I realized that I liked setting up spaces and curating um, and especially things that were fleeting. I, I really love interior design, but the pressure of of doing that and working with clients with different tastes and visions wasn't necessarily what I wanted to focus on but the idea of setting up a wedding or a dinner party out in the woods or you know in the fields or in a barn someplace unexpected just really felt so charming um but we were also in our early 20s and had like no money so that was something that I was like maybe by the time we're 30 we can do that so that was sort of like our longer term goal for the time and The local branch was something that was right in front of us, something that we could do while we had our other jobs. And, um, you know, we had other jobs for a long time while we grew this little brand very slowly and surely. Um, At first, I worked in the coffee shop, and then I thought, you know, maybe working at Anthropology, I heard about um, this position that you could be like the display coordinator or on the visual team and I was like that sounds perfect for me you know I growing up in upstate New York we didn't have an anthropology so I think like the first time I even went into one was in San Francisco and um just like the beautiful installations and I was you know imagining the art room down in the basement and getting to you know use all the tools and woodworking and um painting and it just kind of felt like maybe an extension of of being in school for art like I was and that sounded dreamy and then you know when I went to apply it was like Rachel the display coordinator had been there for like 20 years and I didn't realize like that this was actually a really competitive job and just me coming out of school wasn't going to get this position so easily so I started as a sales associate and just kind of like begged for these visual merchandising shifts which (laughs) it's really funny because I like had to wake up at 4 a.m because the shift started at 6 a.m. But I lived, like, I took two buses to get into San Francisco. Um, And then I would have these funny, like, on-call shifts that meant I'd have to, like, get dressed and be at the bus station, like, waiting and calling to see if they needed me or not. And if they didn't, then I'd walk back up the hill to my house. But, you know, I just think about all those things that are kind of character building in, in the beginning. And then my brother connected me um, to an awesome opportunity um, to work at Pottery Barn in their um, corporate offices there in San Francisco. And I had an amazing tiny little team of um, visual merchandisers that 
um, did the Pottery Barn Kids and Pottery Barn Teen and I worked there for a few years and just got so much experience and um, since we were so small we could really kind of move fast and your ideas could be heard um, and it really like catapulted us to being able to financially afford to take the local branch full-time and just kind of have the confidence that we were ready to do it. Um, So Blaine and I were sitting on the couch one day and we had some friends over and I just sort of started telling everyone like you know wouldn't this be so cool if we got an Airstream and like we turned it into a mobile workshop and like a store and we could just travel all around because I just didn't want to like travel for a year and and not make any money and spend all of our savings I wanted to make it sustainable and I think we luckily had really open-minded friends and you know people that were like yeah that would be awesome you guys should do it um and I have to say Blaine was a little skeptical but it was uh something that we eventually both took seriously and we're like okay yeah we can do this so we hunted on craigslist um for a while and we looked at some seriously bad airstreams and rvs and other trailers um and you know we just have always been sort of this we want something kind of right in the middle like we could do the work to to bring it back to life and make it look good but we we can't have it totally falling apart so We ended up finding one for, I think it was like $3,000 and we paid this person cash and like we didn't even have a a hitch or anything. We didn't even know what that was. So we um, towed it with a flat tire for about an hour and a half on the highway and we somehow made it back to San Francisco and we parked right out um, by the beach where you were allowed to park trailers and we worked on it on the side of the road we had our apartment still which our lease was running out so we had a very short window to flip this thing and um it's actually really funny because we gutted the whole thing when we were on the side of the road which was very challenging because we didn't want to leave anything on the sidewalk or anything so we we gutted it in a couple of days we actually got the police called on us because a neighbor said that they heard some like really loud noises and crashes coming from this trailer (laughs) and it was just Blaine and I doing like a whole demo project and we had to assure them that we were okay we were just doing this crazy project and they laughed and um we called 1-800-GOT-JUNK and they came right to our Airstream and we, they loaded up all of this really disgusting, uh, really disgusting um, remnants that were in the Airstream. Someone had been squatting in it and there was, I just remember, green slime and spray paint and it was a very dirty job. But we got it cleaned up and... Um, and there was this overlap time where we couldn't quite get a lot of the work done before we had to move out of our apartment. So we did this little trek through San Francisco and stayed with some friends up in Northern California and did the work out in front of their house. And we had a air mattress to sleep on in their spare room. So, um, until I think their neighbors got sick of us. So we ended up 
moving to a campground to finish the rest of the work but it took us about four to six weeks total but um it was it was a really cool opportunity for us um to showcase our design talents and kind of like really even get the voice of the brand um a little bit more fleshed out um and we really cared about what we were bringing into the space and um making sure that everything had a purpose and that everything was really going to serve us um because it's a tiny space um and we quickly realized that this airstream could not be a home a workshop and a store which we originally thought um we would have it be but um getting inside and just you know putting a bed and um putting our sewing machines and everything in we realized that maybe the store element wasn't going to happen and that would just be a, like our pop-up um little booth that we would take around to festivals and craft shows and and trade shows and things like that so um yeah so we just renovated it we went out and got old reclaimed redwood from a salvage yard and we cleaned that um, while we were camping in a different campground and we did all the built-ins um, and then we would just go around to different like antique shows and just find really cool things with stories um, throughout our travels and slowly layer it on so it wasn't like decorated in the first week but we just got the essentials in there and then slowly like uh, layered on things that had stories and that really meshed and wove in nicely to the rest of our brand because everything had a story to tell. We were made throughout America and all of our shirts had descriptions about the designs that Blaine would hand paint. And then, um, you know, we would tag everything with where we were in the country when we printed it or sewed it or where we found it for all of our antiques and other relics. And while that um, part has faded away from the brand since we don't travel full time, it was the story is still such an integral part of uh, what we do. And I think that when you buy from a small maker like us, the story is really the thing that matters. Um, so we always tried to tell our story and we tried to show, you know, the story as well through the things that we would pick up and just being thoughtful and conscious about what we were buying and bringing into our space and kind of making sure it had a double function. And then we traveled full time. We planned to do it for a year. I should go back and say that we ended up doing a Kickstarter to raise a lot of the money to get us kind of up and running because while we did have a good amount of savings more than we had ever had in our life um we didn't want, we knew that it wasn't going to last very long especially being on the road and you know paying to be in to festivals and paying to renovate the airstream and all that so we did a kickstarter and um we raised the money that we needed to just get us started um i think it was about fifteen thousand dollars and luckily we had a lot of friends and family that contributed and then a lot of people that we didn't know and um that really helped us that catapulted us really um into this next chapter so we uh traveled all around and um made and and sold things and got to meet a lot of other really cool people on the road and we started to develop this sort of traveling community um and we realized that we had only planned to do this for one year but there was a severe learning curve to just living on the road i mean we had never 
lived in an Airstream or a trailer or anything. Um, so just, you know, navigating that where you are going to fill up your water and where you're going to camp and who has what amenities and how you're going to get Wi-Fi and where you're going to dump your tank for your black water, which is disgusting, but it's some, all the things you have to think about. Um, so after a few months, we were really just getting our feet under us and getting our, um, we had a whole huge Google Drive with all the shows that we had applied to and ones that we had been accepted in and made our route um, as far in, in advance as we could so that we could plan, you know, where, what post office could we get our leather ship to? And, you know, who did we know nearby that we could get a ton of shirts delivered to their garage um, so that they would be there so we could pick them up and go to a campground to print for a few days or a few weeks or whatever. Um, so that was a, a year of doing that. We realized, well, you know, now we're just getting the hang of this, so we should keep going. Um, and so we did. We traveled for another year, and it was good that we had had that first year under our belt um, because there was a lot, a lot, a lot of hiccups along the way. I think that. Um, you know, we had a lot of people reach out to us while we were doing this and afterwards, you know, little books and TV shows and regular people and, you know, just kind of loving the glamour of it all. And I always tried to be honest with people that it is this really wonderful traveling life, but there are a lot of logistics and a lot of things that are going to go wrong, you know, when you're living on the road and, and it happened to us and a, and a lot of friends we knew things from, um, we had this our first truck which had multiple spark plug issues which left us stranded on the side of the road more time more of the times than I want to share um it was eventually where we got a new truck and you know we had a few car accidents a couple times we had products stolen from us and you know just a lot of things that kind of when you're hustling just feels like you're being kicked when you're down. Um, I think it was compounded by not really having a community. It was just the two of us. And, um, you know, we couldn't just, if our car broke down, it was our only car and we were stranded. Um, so when something took two or three weeks to get fixed, that means we were stuck where, where we were in place. Um, or it cost us a whole bunch of money that we didn't have to, you know, to move and go somewhere else until it was fixed. So those types of things were really hard. And we had friends that lived on the road similar to us that, you know, would blow tires all the time and be in similar situations where you just don't have the money to fix those types of things. But they happen way more when you're just on the road all the time. Um, so there's definitely, um, you know, the not so glamorous sides of living on the road. But all in all, it was some of our fondest memories we got to see so much and do so much and it really influenced our brand um when people come into our store now they're like where are you guys from you know because people say is it Colorado is it California is it Wyoming and we're like you know it's a mix of everything we're from upstate New York originally but we moved out west and so we traveled for two years and we we're just inspired by everything American history Americana you know when we first started I remember wanting to make our logo and there was no modern brands that we could find that had anything that sort of 
harken back to a time um, we had a friend of ours, Aaron Ellis, draw our logo. Blaine was mashing up all of these old ads that we were finding um, and kind of he did a really rough mock-up of what we wanted um, and it was really hard to articulate. Now, I mean, you see logos and, you know, typography and hand lettering and things like that all the time, but 10 years ago, you know, it wasn't really like that. And even I remember we were brainstorming words like artisanal, handmade, handcrafted. Um, and these were things that we wanted to really make sure that people knew because they were important to our brand. And, and now that's everywhere. But when you're sort of on the forefront of doing that, it's like, it's all new. Um, you're kind of making that model for yourself. And you know, we had a lot of education along the way, a lot of teaching people that, you know, we they'd come into our little booth or our trade show spot or a craft show and just be like, $36 for a t-shirt, that's crazy. Why would I do that when I can get it for $5? And, you know, we're like, well, you know, because we care about our supply chain and we're buying things that are made in the U.S. that we can't even get it for $5. And then, you know we're so small we were buying in really small quantities and then Blaine was hand painting all of these screen prints which is a really really long process he would hand paint and he still does every drawing um in the reverse in the negative on a screen with like a filler and then we hand print each shirt and usually when we're on the road we're printing these all on picnic tables and you know wherever wherever we were um and so it was very primitive and we still are very primitive and um i i always want to stay very handmade like that because i think that's you can kind of you kind of can feel it um you know it's it's not doesn't feel mass produced and i really like that and um you know every step of the way with our any product we have always tried to get as as local and as american made with every little thing um and sometimes it's not possible um but when it's not possible then we're looking for a fair trade option um and you know an ethical choice which costs more um but that's okay and at first you know it was just a learning curve for people and now I think people understand the importance of all of those decisions and how they just affect people and um you know people I think more or less would rather have a couple quality things that they feel good about that have a story that have a little heart um and that have some compassion um behind them versus a bunch of man-made things that are going to break and they don't care about their supply chain and the, and the people. Um, so, you know, actually in the early days when we did a pool trade show, we were asked to be speakers about sourcing made in America because it was becoming more and more of a trend, especially for small makers. And, you know, we hardly felt like experts. We were just doing our due diligence and um, trying to, to do the best that we could do. Um, but Blaine ended up uh, being a speaker and, you know, sharing whatever we knew. And I think, I hope it, it helped people. And I definitely feel like 
there has been a movement in the last five or six years um, that's really caught on and small makers, people doing things in little batches, people doing things with intention. And I think that's hopefully the way that we're moving forward. I mean, now we're in this crazy pandemic and I do feel lucky that we've remained very small, even though, um, you know, sometimes I, I question like, oh, should we have gotten bigger? But it's actually, you can, you can kind of do a lot when you're small um, and you can pivot quickly and easily. And, you know, we've always really loved that is if we have an idea and we want to do it, we can just do it. It doesn't take, you know, going through this whole chain of command um, to execute something. And, you know, but on the flip side, sometimes, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, But yeah, that's kind of um, our story up until we uh, stopped traveling and um, we were able to get a little spot in an artist market, Artists and Fleas, in Chelsea Market, um, which we had dabbled in over holidays for a couple weeks since, but we signed a year lease and that was our first kind of leap into retail to see, um, you know, we had done wholesale before, we had done all the craft shows and the trade shows and, you know, um, we realized after wholesaling and fulfilling some bigger orders, um, we were lucky and proud to get some, some bigger orders, but we realized like, we don't want to be just factories making things behind the scene. The story really matters. And I think that gets lost. So we thought this next step might be to try retail and kind of broaden our collection and, um, and make that more of our direction that we were going to go, um, go forward with. So we, uh, set up this booth at Artisan Fleas. It was like 10 by 10 and we hired people for the first time. We did a lot of things for the first time. We set up payroll and we had to manage inventory and we had to restock inventory and, um, create a schedule and, policies and procedures and all the things you know and um and it was definitely a growing pain going from just the two of us doing everything to now there's like this little team and um and we didn't live in New York City we lived in the Hudson Valley so there was a couple hours of a commute anytime we needed to go down there to restock or or work or whatever um so I would usually go down like once every couple of weeks and you know, rearrange things and work and, and sleep over a night or two and, um, make sure everything was going good. And luckily we just had an amazing team there that after a little while we could just sort of totally trust them, um, to keep everything going and, and we could just keep making stuff and and bringing it down as needed. Um, we had a little live work loft in, uh, Kingston. And then we decided that maybe it was, uh, time to move back upstate we had been house hunting for a couple of years um and we thought you know we found this perfect little homestead on almost 10 acres and an old victorian farmhouse and a big barn and that was like you know the beacon um from the beginning was to have this like we called it the wedding barn now it's called the kester homestead but um 
this place just sort of organically happened after a few years of us really forcing things that that didn't that weren't right that didn't happen um so moving even farther upstate our little spot in chelsea market was getting more challenging and and it was expensive for us as just little makers to be in the city um so we moved upstate very close to where we grew up just about 45 minutes away um on this charming little town skinny atlas there's the finger lakes are right here skinny atlas is a finger lake and um it's just lovely and there's this little storefront here that used to be called riddler's it's a little brick building it's a historic building goes back a long long time and um Riddler's was here forever a little like penny candy and cigar and newspaper store my dad was little and um I always thought this is my favorite store in all of town just from looking on the outside and I never thought it would ever become available and randomly (laughs) it was like a couple days before Christmas we got we had put some feelers out there so we would know what was going to be coming on, you know, for, for rent or whatever. And when the time was right, we would, we would act on it. And this place just kind of fell into our lap and we said, wow, you know, this is like our dream spot. And it might be like a few months too early, but we should jump on it. Um, so we, before we even really got to have a full tour of the space, we committed and we were like, yes, we signed the lease. And, um, we took, you know, we had a little overlap with our stuff in Artists and Fleas, which was a little hard for us, but we bought all of our fixtures and we made as much product as we could possibly afford to make. And then we quickly realized that this space was actually a lot bigger than our little 10 by 10 booth. And so we couldn't just really sell our own goods anymore. And we needed to sort of not totally pivot, but just expand. So we weren't just like, our own handmade goods, we were really expanded a lot more into other um, small makers, which really resonated and was kind of an old business plan idea that that we had first drafted up back in the early days of having like this little shop that was sort of like an in-person Etsy, which doesn't really feel so crazy now, but at first, you know, back then it, it kind of was. So now we're bringing this idea to life and we have our own leather goods and our own printed apparel and then we have these sort of um collaborations like there's a local ceramic artist um Verilyn goods and um we partner on like designing and kind of coming up with concepts and then he makes the stuff for us um we have Syracuse Tope Works and also Peaks Coffee, like local makers, and they make their product and we do the branding on it. Um, so it kind of has our own little twist. And then we just carry a ton of other like local Syracuse or New York State or just like USA made brands, people just like us, many of whom we have met and worked with throughout all of our years of traveling. Um, So we feel so good that we can support our friends making and doing their cool things and people that we don't know, but are small makers too. Um, And I think, you know, that's really, I feel so good about that is that we are able to kind of keep this little 
community going and growing um, by supporting each other. I've always felt that way. Um, Going back to that quote in the beginning, be who you needed when you were younger. It's like, that's kind of how I'm trying to live. You know, it's like, these are all the connections and I've always just felt that like rising tide or that community over competition. I've just never really felt like in competition with people that do similar things. I just feel like we're all better together and we're all better when we join forces. And um, so I guess that's kind of, I think maybe the direction of this podcast is to just share our stories. Um, Maybe it will inspire you. Maybe it will spark something in you. Um, And then we can connect and we can collaborate with other small makers and hear their journeys and hear their triumphs and hear their falls. And, you know, if we're all a little bit vulnerable, I think we can can all learn something from each other. And, you know, um, yeah. So let me know what you think. And and I'm here to keep telling more stories if you want to hear them. Thank you.